Transmitting live from the top of the Empire State Building on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio in New York, this is Trump Watch, the first hundred days. A weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm today's host, Jesse Lent. Conrad Tokyo, Sparrow, Pistachio, just done national. The dog is off sabbatical. Rather watch an exigent. Politician, politics, CNN, and all this. Guanyo, who are you? Have you personally coordinated with the White House at all on the scope of this investigation? And how do you prevent it from going off track? No, sir, I have not. And um, it's the relationship and the trust we have. And let me also add, let me just also add to that. Um, there have been all the members of the committee. I have been constantly impressed. And I, we know it's challenging. Some folks want this to go away. Some folks want this to be done and us reaching conclusions to, to, tomorrow or yesterday. Uh, but so many committee members on both sides of the aisle have constantly stepped up. So it, I think it's not only our relationship, but it's the fact that the committee, I think, has, has got our back and they want to see it through. Republican Chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr of North Carolina, and Vice Chairman, Democratic Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, speaking earlier today at a press conference on the Senate investigation into President Trump's possible ties to Russia, striking a rare bipartisan tone and exuding a spirit of cooperation. The same could not be said of the House Intelligence Committee's ranking Democrat and Republican this week. On Monday, Democrats, including House Intelligence Committee Vice Chair Adam Schiff of California, called on Devin Nunes, also of California, chairman of the House Com Committee, uh, in Intelligence Committee investigating the Russian connection, to recuse himself after it was con confirmed that Nunes met with President Trump at the White House to share information relating to the investigation before sharing it with the committee. He also shared it to the media first. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch, the first hundred days. On the show this evening, we'll be discussing the Trump administration's ties to Russia with Karun Demergian of the Washington Post. We spoke yesterday evening. For the last four and a half months since this program started, in my effort to keep the focus of Trump Watch on the president's policies and the protest response to them, I had opted to avoid the topic of the administration's ties to Russia. It seemed like there was enough coverage of this issue, and at the time, it didn't seem like it would have much of an effect on the president's policies. But now that the issue is right in the chambers of Cong Congress and seems to be something that just won't go away for this president, I felt it was far overdue for us two on Trump Watch to examine Trump's Russia connection head on. Here to discuss the ongoing drama, the Trump administration's ties to Russia, and the congressional investigation into them, is Karun Demergian, a foreign policy reporter for the Washington Post and a former correspondent at the paper's Moscow Bureau. Hello, Karun. Thank you so much for joining me. The number of associates uh, of the presidents with ties to Russia seems to increase by the day. Uh, Let's start with a few confirmed facts. On February 13th, Michael Flynn resigned as President Trump's national security advisor after misleading Vice President Pence on whether he had spoken to Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak about U.S. sanctions during the Christmas holiday. 
On March 2nd, Trump's Attorney General Jeff Sessions recused himself from any investigation into Russian hacking, an occurrence confirmed by all 17 intelligence agencies, after it was revealed he had lied during his Senate confirmation hearing regarding whether he had met, again, Russian Ambassador Kislyak. And last week, the AP reported that Paul Manafort, campaign manager for the Trump campaign before being replaced back in August by Kellyanne Conway following questions regarding his past lobbying work for pro-Russian Ukrainian oligarchs, worked clandestinely for a Russian billionaire in order to greatly benefit the Putin government. According to Politico, Carter Page, a foreign policy advisor to candidate Trump, has tries to Russian has ties to Russian energy companies Rosneft and Gazprom, and longtime Donald Trump associate Roger Stone, who used to host a series on Kremlin-funded network RT, reportedly has connections in Russia's military intelligence agency GRU. According to a New York Times report on Monday, even Trump's son-in-law, will be, uh, Jared Kushner, will be called in to testify before the U.S. House of Representatives investigation into the pres- president's Russia ties and Russian meddling in the presidential election. Before we get into the House investigation into the president's Russia ties and possible uh, interference into the election, am I leaving out anyone else that's under investigation? I, at this point, I mean, that's a fairly comprehensive list that you went through. I, it, it, it's difficult for me to say because the House and Senate Intelligence Committees, they're painting with a box brush. They are looking into allegations of Russian meddling in the 2016 elections, 2016 elections across the board. So technically, that includes anybody, not just the president and his, and his surrogate. Um, the people you named are certainly the most well-known. Um but uh, there could be others uh, if they crop up, others that we're not aware of, others that maybe we are aware of but not aware of any connection. So I, I don't want to you know, say that anyone has a definitive list right now. I think that certainly the committees, every time a name comes up in the press, are saying, well, we'll include that in our investigation. Sometimes they don't say that publicly even. But um, as more names crop up with potential ties to Russia, more names get added to the roster of people they're looking at. But um, given the fact that they're scouring intelligence reports raw intelligence reports that go into far more detail than, I assume, than what we have reported um, that uh, suggests that that may not be an exhaustive list. Of all the allegations relating to Trump associates, is there anything that you find particularly troubling? I mean, it's it's not really for for me to say. You just don't to rank them one way or the other. Again, because this is all part of one greater investigation looking into was was there any evidence of coordination or collusion? Certainly, Democrats have been saying and have been accusing that there was collusion between um, the president's team and the Kremlin, but they haven't been able to substantiate that. They have yet to um, identify a smoking gun. So right now, it's accusations with no proof, um, and that's a problem. Um, it's I think that the reason that everyone is digging into this is to try to figure out how much there is there. Um, and I think it's that it's at that point, you know, certainly accusations like that are troubling when you talk about potentially colluding with a foreign adversary to turn the results or influence the results of an election. But again, that, that's a, an accusation that one can make. And if there's nothing to back it up, then, it, then, it's, then it's just an accusation. And that's only troubling, I suppose, insofar as an accusation has been made that can't be substantiated, right? So there's the politics of this, too. Which side has the truth more on their side? Um, because... Uh, both of them are 
are um, drawing inferences and conclusions from the facts that they've seen, which many of them are, as many politicians have even admitted, circumstantial. And circumstantial evidence usually is not enough to get you through a court proceeding. So, um, again, it's difficult to say what's the most troubling because it's not clear yet what allegation has the most metal behind it. And then at that point, that's when you if you can start to identify which ones are the most serious and realistic accusations, that's when I think people can start to say, you know, rank things in terms of how troubling they are or not. Okay. So now on to the uh, aforementioned House investigation, starting to appear increasingly unlikely uh, for this process to proceed in any manner resembling bipartisanship. Uh, As Republican Representative Devin Nunez of California, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, charged with investigating Russia's electoral interference and ties to the uh, Trump campaign, has been accused of of being too close to the president to be impartial by the Democrats. This is something that you've done some reporting on. Uh, Could you discuss some of the political difficulties that the House Intelligence Committee is currently having in conducting their investigation? Sure. Well, first of all, the main problem stems from the fact that the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee uh, was on the transition team advising the president. So... Uh, Democrats are certainly saying that they were uncomfortable with that all along, but they were willing to give it a pass so long as they felt like the investigation was proceeding as it should. But ever since this last week, when you saw that the chairman went to the White House to meet with a source and look at information that may or may not involve the president's name being um, unmasked on um, on various documents, um, that uh, various excuse me, um, reports that uh, are from surveillance that were not directed at anybody on the president's team, but where uh, identities of the president's team members may have been uh, referenced or revealed. Um, again, it's not totally clear what's there because the chairman hasn't identified. But basically, Democrats have said, you should have come to the committee first. Why are you going to the White House? Why are you going to the White House at night to go and look at this stuff? Why are you then going back to brief the president? And then the press twice will come and talk to us. Um, so they're just saying, look, that's, that's clearly you're politically beholden to the president before you are to this investigation of the president, um, and that's a problem, and thus you should recuse yourself from anything that we look at that has to do with with Russia. Um, certainly there's been pushback from Republicans who are saying they don't believe that uh, you know did anything wrong. Not all Republicans. I think if it, if it, when that um, when Nunes made his accusation about there being those documents that may reveal identities of the president's team members, or the transition team members, rather, um, John McCain did come out and say, okay, Congress is basically proving it can't do its job by itself, so maybe we should put this in the hands of either a select committee or an independent commission, somebody who's just not, you know, the, 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 the rank-and-file members of the Intel Committee who clearly have these political leanings. And, and the other thing that's important to, to, to look at is just juxtapose the House Committee with the Senate Committee, Intelligence Committees, rather. Um, because Senate committees doing okay, pretty much has the respect of, respect of both sides of the aisle. Um, Democrats believe that the Republican chairman is taking it seriously. They're also not doing a lot in public. Um, you have had a series of public spats between the, the leaders of the House committee, between members of the House Intelligence Committee. And then this all seemed to turn um, on last Monday's open hearing when you had the FBI and NSA directors come forward. 
um, to testify in this open hearing. And after that, it just turned, even during the hearing, it was, you could see that it was just political jockeying on display. And after the hearing, it didn't stop. And it was less than 48 hours after that hearing ended that you saw um, you know, uh, turning the conversation towards these documents you'd seen the night before. So it's just a, it's 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 very messy over on the House side right now, um, just in terms of the different strains of what they're looking at and the political um, uh, jockeying that's happening around it in a way that you're not seeing on the Senate side where they're looking at all this stuff too and they seem to be doing it in a much calmer manner and more more cooperative manner as well. According to a report Tuesday by your Washington Post colleagues Devlin Barrett and Adam Entus. The White House attempted to block former acting Attorney General Sally Yates from testifying before the House Intelligence Committee. What do you think some members of the Trump administration are so worried about her saying that they went to such measures to keep her from appearing? That's also a a question, right? Because Yates was involved in the um, early days of the Trump administration before she was let go, and she was also there for the landing months of the Obama administration. So that is the critical period. And we know that from our reporting that um, that it appears that she approached the administration with information about some of these calls that Trump's surrogates were having with the Russian ambassador and not being more forthright about. Um, and um, it's not clear. I mean, it, 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 we know from the letters that come from Yates' side and lawyers that um, that it appears the Trump administration was trying to claim some of these communications were privileged because they occurred between um, you know a sitting president and, and herself that they were pushing back against that. Um, but of course, the White House came out today and denied that they had ever tried to keep her from testifying. So again, um, every time you have a new revelation come out about these things, you have a very, very strong effort to discredit it. And certainly you have seen Republicans say that the press reports are wrong. And you have um, seen even the intelligence officials suggest that maybe not absolutely everything about the press reports is spot on right, but they're not clarifying exactly which point um, might be not, you know, precisely exactly what they were saying you know, went on there. They're still investigating these. We, we can't know also what Sally Yates wants to say and what she will say I can't talk about and what she will reveal until she's in front of that committee. And we don't yet know when that's going to be. From everything you've seen, just to put this in a bit of perspective, is there anything on the table here that could possibly lead back to the president or even be grounds for impeachment? I mean, Again, I have to go back to the answer I gave you before when you asked me about what's troubling. We, I mean, first of all, what can you substantiate? You know, what what is actually an accusation that you can put meat behind? That's what these investigations are for to see if that's possible. If you can't, then I'd say no. You can accuse people of all sorts of things. If you can't prove that there's a reason to make that accusation, then you know, then there's nothing to do about that. Then you just kind of have to accept the you know what is and that maybe there's not. Um, any substance on the accusation. It certainly seems like there are a lot of open questions and very suspicious activities happening, and why is the White House and their team reacting and responding in the ways that they are if there's nothing there? But, again, you have to prove that there's something there. And the other thing is that you need uh, you need to vote. An impeachment is an act of Congress, and right now you have a Republican Congress that is very defensive of its, you know, the leader of its party, who's also a Republican, sitting in the White House, 
and not particularly inclined to start any sort of impeachment proceeding. So you need a reason and you need the vote. And right now, you don't have either one yet. So it's uh, to be determined um, if you find the smoking gun and if you change the balance of the legislature, which frankly is going to be an uphill battle for Democrats, even though they may be able to gain more seats. Um, there are too many uh, Democratic senators who are up for re-election to make that to make even keeping the 48 seats that they have any sort of a cakewalk. Um, Republicans have far fewer seats to defend. And in the House, the gap is still significant. And it, it you have a lot of districts that are not really swing districts anymore. So to win over a House district from, you know, a Republican to a Democrat is certainly possible, but it is um, not easy either. And you have to remember that as much as um, certain people are looking at every twist and turn of this Russia investigation and just building up more frustrations with the president's team and finding more to be suspicious of and more to um, dislike him over, his base is not looking at this. He's not talking about this during the rallies. Um, members of his base are actually you know, accusing anyone who brings this up of, of, of peddling fake news, of trying to come up with some sort of, a, you know, wrap them up in a conspiracy theory that's un, un, unjustified. And also, um, just if you listen to the issues that people in Trump's stronghold are talking about, it's not really Russia. It's immigration. It's the economy. I mean, look, we just had a health care bill rise and crash in flames last week. There are a lot of other things going on that do hit people closer to where they live that may prove to be bigger issues um, when it comes to not just campaign time for the president, but campaign time for everybody in Congress who's going to, as you, you know, as we discussed before, um, determine the president's fate if it comes to that event. You know, I want to get back to something that you mentioned a minute ago, you know, about that, about the way that this is perceived among a lot of Trump supporters. Uh, despite, as I mentioned, all 17 intelligence agencies agreeing that there was clear evidence of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Many Trump supporters, uh, as you said, claim the entire charge of Russian collusion has been made up by the media to bring, bring Trump down. I've seen uh, posts on social media making that case that there's nothing strange about politicians meeting with the Russian ambassador or uh, what happens in business is nobody's business. Can you make the case for what's at stake here and why this issue matters? The issue matters because they're serious. Anytime somebody brings up an accusation that it's uh, that there was potential collusion um, that affects an election and potential coordination with a foreign entity and not a friendly foreign entity to boot, that's a serious accusation. There are members on both sides of the aisle who will tell you that's real stuff. We have to take that seriously. We have to investigate it. Even the people who don't think Trump did anything wrong say, okay, that's a serious accusation. We've got to investigate it. That doesn't mean that um, it's necessarily going to lead to the conclusion that people who are suspecting Trump of the worst want it to lead to. It does. It, 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 it already, we're already at the point where clearly there is some, some things there that have been uncovered that are not good. Um, that are, and there are some ways that people have been conducting themselves that, as some members have told me, are not exactly confidence inspiring. Um, but again, um, I hate to keep sounding like a broken record, but um, 
it really does come down to evidence and proof at the end of the day. As, as people that defend Trump are saying, they're saying, okay, let's go ahead with the investigation, and we don't think it's going to prove anything in the end, but let's just, you know, do that and clear the decks and clear his name. And other people are saying, of the exact same investigations, we think that we will eventually find something there. But, but yet we haven't yet found something that is, you know, clearly concrete, substantiating those links, making these allegations actually um, verifiable. Um, so things are troubling, things are serious, things you know, demand an investigation. You will hear members from both sides who disagree vehemently about what's actually there say that this is serious and you have to look at it when you're talking about issues that are this serious. But again, it depends on what they find. And right now, at this juncture, they haven't found the thing, any of the things really that will say, aha, there was something really, really bad that happened here. If they do, then there are going to be a lot of people that are very, very ready to push this to the next level. We've seen this go to next levels on various Trump surrogates and you know, supporters of, of, of the president and Congress. Every week, it seems that there is some sort of new um, discovery about some sort of conversation or some you know, contact that someone made or some uh, document that someone found or some sort. And we know that there's already requests out there for even more. So I do not think this is going to stop anytime soon. I think that things will probably build, 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 build. The question is, do, do they build to a point where we actually have um, evidence that, that proves something. And that is the ultimate question. This could go for years and end up in a report that doesn't actually ever find a smoking gun, and then we just leave this in the cloud of suspicion for history, you know, for and all time. Um, or the president could be exonerated, or the president could be found to have done something, you know, terrible. But again, this is all in the, the, the realm of if, and can we prove it, and is there something to prove? I've heard many foreign policy experts say that uh, if Russian President Vladimir Putin's goal uh, of interfering with the U.S. election was to sow chaos in our political system, he's already succeeded. What do you think Putin is looking for now from President Trump? Has he already accomplished his mission of disruption, or does he have a greater purpose? I think the thing you have to realize is that Russia, for a very long time, um, Russia, Russia it, it was very, very boosterish on Trump for a long time. Uh, through the election, you could see in the Russian press during the transition period when he first took office, they're not talking about him as much anymore. They're not quite sure about him as much anymore. You do have, you know, the Trump administration say, yeah, push urging the Senate on saying, you know, yes, you know, ratify the NATO treaty to let the, 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 the ratify Montenegro joining NATO. Russia hates NATO expansion like nothing else. They, they fear Western expansion and encroachment, and NATO is a Balkan country. It used to be behind the Iron Curtain. Um, they, Trump has also had his surrogates make pretty strong statements about Ukraine. He has let go of the, the line that um, he might dismantle Ukraine sanctions. He's let go of the line that he wouldn't, that the United States won't fulfill its obligations to NATO, even though he's still pounding European nations to put more money towards collective defense. And uh, you also have to remember that just kind of stepping back another notch in the big picture, that Russia has a very large chip on its shoulder about being considered an also ran fire on the world stage for years and years, for basically its entire history. Russia has been a big dog in its air, and for the entire 20th century, pretty much, was a giant, giant power. Not the entire 20th century, but a, a good, good fat bulk of it was a, a major superpower, if not exactly on par with the United States, and certainly the, the rival and the foil of the United States in various different ways, and, and certainly we took Russia as very seriously as a, as a 
co-equal adversary if there was supposed to be a balance of power like that in the world. And we don't anymore to the same extent, although that's starting to change. And Russia really wants to build up its status on the world stage like that. And that is behind a lot of things that it does. So it's not that Russia has some ace in the hole for Trump and, and is so in love with Trump's policies that they're going to stand by him to the end. Russia does what's good for Russia. And so the question is, what does Russia think is good for Russia and how much of that can they get from Trump? Um, and then just kind of completing the, the answer to your question about whether the goal was to sow chaos in the United States democracy. I mean, look, the way that Russia kind of does its business throughout the world, it doesn't have endless means. It doesn't have endless military strength. It can't take over countries and absorb them into Russia the way that it used to during the Soviet Union build-up days. Um, what it can do is, is make sure that everybody that might pose a threat to it is a little weak and a little unstable. And that's true if you look at Ukraine. A lot of the you know, the war in the East and the intervention to help separatists in the East um, is bent on keeping Kiev divided and weak. That's the Ukrainian capital. A lot of the intervention it's been doing to support um, far-right and far-left parties in Europe also bent on weakening the European Union, maybe dismantling it in part. Um, and what is the one thing the United States has that is, you know, our intangible strength, I suppose, it's the fact that we have a pretty well high-functioning democracy and that we export that to the world. Um, we export this idea of this representative democracy and, you know, freedom of ideas and, and, and existence and all of these things that does not jive with the Russian system. And so... It's the thing that if they can destabilize, doesn't make us look good because they can just say, ha-ha, you guys thought all this time that you were just going to, you know, change the world and change our sphere of influence too and make everybody out in the West image to be little American democracy all over the world and ha-ha-ha, look at how dysfunctional you guys are. So as as, I mean, as an objective, that makes a lot of sense, um, potentially being part of the Russian playbook. Thank you very much. Thank you. My guest has been Karun Demergian, a reporter covering defense and foreign policy for The Washington Post, who previously worked as a foreign correspondent at the Papers Bureau in Moscow, Russia. Her article, Nunes Admits Meeting with Source of Trump Surveillance Documents on White House Grounds, co-written by Greg Miller and Philip Rucker, appeared in Monday's edition of The Washington Post. You're listening to Trump Watch the First 100 Days on WBAI, 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio in New York. I'm Jesse Lent. One quick announcement before we go. Trump Watch with Jesse Lent is now available as an iTunes podcast. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also stream or download all 16 previous episodes of Trump Watch at our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash Trump Watch WBAI or in the WBAI archives. That's going to do it for this week. But you can keep the conversation going on Twitter using the hashtag TrumpWatchWBAI or follow me at the handle JLentNews. You can also contact me directly at the email address jesse at WBAI.org. I always love to hear from you. What would you like us to cover on Trump Watch? Let me know at jesse at WBAI.org. Stay tuned for the Katie Halper Show coming up at 7, and I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time.